following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Interesting book. Uh, I've had several people say, why are you preaching through Leviticus? I still don't know if I have a good answer, but other than that God made me. Uh, Let's begin. We're going to look in Leviticus 19. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'll read verses 1 through 18, which kind of capture the the heart of it. So if you want to follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 1, Leviticus 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his father, his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after. And anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with him, uh, frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I'll stop there. Um, uh, I, this, this passage, and along with a lot of Leviticus, one of the reasons it is hard for us is that it lays out a bunch of commands, uh, rules, statutes, that they're called. Um, and, um, of course, Israel was expected to follow them all. But one of the confusing things for us as New Testament Christians, we know we're in the New Covenant, and the big question is, like, do any of these relate to us? Do any of these apply to us? 
And, uh, you know, the whole gleaning in the field thing, I don't even own a field. Like, like does this mean I don't mow my whole, my whole grass in my yard? I leave a little fringe there, right? Um, like, how does this work out in everyday life, right? How do we do this? And it would be really easy to say, you know, it was a different time. It was the old covenant. It was an old culture. It was a different era. And we don't have to pay attention to any of it. And that would certainly be the easiest solution to all of this, except for one problem. Uh, Jesus quotes, when we just read verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is like one of the lesser commandments, right? This is like one of those kind of optional commandments that we can choose to do or not do, right? No. Right? Jesus himself said, no, this summarizes uh, the commandments. This is the, the second of the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right out of this, uh, right out of this chapter. So it creates problems for us because uh, clearly some of it we are supposed to do. Uh, but when we read through it, it can be very confusing. And, and, and Christians, uh, you know, we, we wrestle with this. Uh, how do we apply these Old Testament rules and regulations? What, what is their role for us? What is their place in our life? So, um, and, and kind of the way this works out, practically for a lot of us, is we kind of have this list of the ones we, we, we keep and the ones we ignore, right? Right, do we do that? Because honestly, does anybody try to keep all of these? Like, like I see a bunch of you guys shaved this morning. <clears throat> Clearly, you're not keeping this because there's a whole thing about not trimming the edges of your beard. It's like, I don't even have edges to my beard anymore. I shaved that part off. I just have the middle part, and I keep it pretty short. Right? So, so clearly, we're not, we're not following all of these. But how do we know what we pick, what we choose, or what we don't, uh, don't follow? That's the problem. And one of my favorite examples for this, and, and please give me grace with this, I just think it's interesting how we pick and choose what we choose. Um, I teach uh, a lot of classes in children's homes on, on parenting, on, on dealing, you know, how to discipline children, how to have good discipline policies in a children's home. And especially when I teach this in very Christian homes, I get this all the time. Well, we have to spank children because the Bible commands it. Like, okay, that's kind of true. Actually, the Bible, the Old Testament doesn't actually quite command it, but it is a principle there. But I say to them, okay, that's fair enough. Spank your children because it's in the Old Testament. However, what do you do with Deuteronomy 21:18, where it says you're all supposed to stone your children who are rebels? Are you going to do that one, right? Well, no, we're not going that far, right? But, but it creates a problem because why, why one and not the other, right? Why do, we, why do we have to spank our kids, but we would never think of stoning them to death? Well, some people would say, well, that's just too extreme, like, especially in the modern world, stoning your child to death is just way too extreme. It's way too out there. So that's why we don't do it. Well, I would argue that in our modern culture, spanking is becoming, in many places, too extreme, right? So do we not spank our kids because it's too extreme in our culture? Right? Is that how we decide? Um, or some people say, well, spanking isn't yet illegal, but stoning your child to death would be, right? So, so okay, fair enough. You know, we don't... We don't put our children to death because it's illegal. Uh, but what happens if spanking becomes illegal? Are you going? To, which actually in Thailand it is, by the way. If you work with children's homes, and uh, it is illegal to spank children in a children's home. Um, but that doesn't stop people. It's like, well, we'll break the law on that one. But why don't we break the law on the other? Right. And so, um, 
how we apply these rules gets very confusing for us. And what I find is that Christians sometimes are very inconsistent. And what happens is, what it kind of often comes down to is we keep the ones that are culturally acceptable or that seem to make sense to us, right? Like somehow um, loving your neighbor, that sounds reasonable, so I think we're supposed to do that one. But, you know, the whole uh, not getting a tattoo, well, that was a different time in a different culture, so we don't have to follow that one, right? Because now tattoos are culturally acceptable. So, so people get quite confused on that. And um, it's, it's interesting how we, we pick and choose. Um, and at the same time, uh, in all fairness, the world is a different place than it was back then, right? We do live in a different era, in a different time, in a different age. And as believers, we're now under a new covenant, right? Uh, so how does the new covenant speak to these Old Testament rules? How does the changing time speak to it? And how do we sort it out, right? How do we sort it out? Well, that's what we want to look at today, because I know uh, you're all this burning question, can I get a tattoo or not? Like, and if Tim says, okay, after church, man, I'm rushing out, and I'm getting that tat, right? It's just not okay, I'm going to be really sad, but I won't get the tattoo, right? So that's the question we all have, right? That and many others. Um, how do these things apply to our life, or do they? Clearly, I think Jesus would say at some level they do because he said this is, this, is, this is the law for us. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that verse in this chapter 19 really uh, summarizes the chapter. And in fact, you could, you could really break down that the whole chapter is unpacking what that means. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Um, so, so let's look at this and think through some things. Uh, um, First of all, keeping the commandments. How do we keep the commandments? What does it mean to keep the commandments? It's important to understand in the very first place what it meant for the Israelites to keep these commands. And one of the reasons we get confused on this is we don't even understand the place or purpose of the commands and the the laws for the Israelites. And actually in Jesus' day, even the Jews misunderstood this and misapplied it greatly. So it's important that we see this. And uh, to, to, to... understand the place of the commandments, it's important to see that there was an order of things. And this order was extremely important. Right? When God gave Moses these commands was critical, the timing of it. Right? Uh, life for us and our understanding of the law would be radically different if it worked like this. If God met Moses at the burning bush, and the first thing he did when he met Moses at the burning bush is he gave him the Ten Commandments. And he said, take these Ten Commandments and go to Egypt and teach these rules and these commands to my people. And when they start getting it right, then I'll think about rescuing them. Is that what happened? Not what happened, right? Uh, God met Moses at the burning bush and he said, "Uh, I have heard the cries of my people who are being oppressed. They're enslaved. They're being abused and tormented. They have cried out to me and I have compassion on them. And I am going to rescue them. And there was no laws. There was no commands. There was no expectations. There was, so you better go back and tell them to get their life together. It doesn't work that way. God's first act is is saving lost, sinful people. And that comes without rules, regulations, or expectations, right? Uh, All they had to do was trust God and follow Moses. Uh, so they did that, right? God rescued them, and there was no, there was no law to, to make that happen. It was what God did freely of his own kindness and grace. Um, and then they went out in the wilderness, and God entered into a covenant relationship with them. God says, I want to make a covenant with you 
where you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And also, in that, there was no commandments. Right? God ratified the covenant before he gave these rules and these instructions. Right? So covenant relationship with God is not based on our ability to keep his rules or we would be in trouble. Right? Um, then after God they entered into this covenant relationship, God gave instructions for the tabernacle and the temple and the focus of all that was that uh, God wanted to provide a means for forgiveness of sin, for atonement. So they had been uh, rescued, but now they needed to be ransomed. Uh, not ransomed from Egypt, but ransomed from sin and death. And so God gave the whole first 16 chapters of, the, of Leviticus is focused on uh, God's provision of, of forgiveness. That yes, they have sinned and they're they needed to be aware that there were consequences for those sin, sins, but the cure was not to go back and do a bunch of good deeds. Right? The solution for their sin was not to go out and keep the law and undo all the bad with the good, right? which is how most religions work. But for God, it was by grace. I provided a substitute, and the blood of that substitute covers your sin and gives you forgiveness. Right? Then after all of that, after they had been rescued, they had entered covenant relationship, they had been ransomed from sin and death and given forgiveness, then God said, okay, here are my commands. Here are the instructions for how you can live out as God's holy people. Be holy as I am holy. Um, and the purpose, so we start to see the purpose of the law here. Purpose had nothing to do with their rescue, their redemption, their salvation, their atonement. But once all those things had, had been accomplished in their life, God called them to a different kind of lifestyle, to be a different kind of people. Um, and and, and that, that pattern holds true in the New Testament, right? Uh, Jesus came and he died for us and he offers freely to us by God's grace rescue and, and covenant relationship with God based on, on what, uh, what Jesus has done to bring about forgiveness and to bring us before God without limitation, without barrier, without any hindrance to come right into God's presence. But once we are saved, God calls us to something different. He calls us to be obedient, not as a means of salvation, not to prove something to him, but as evidence uh, and, and really as the fulfillment of his saving purpose in our life. Um, one of, one of the most classic stories that illustrates how this gets misunderstood is in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, and uh, it says, that, Behold, a lawyer, uh, somebody, an expert in the law, not a lawyer probably in the sense of civil courts, but somebody who's an expert in the, in, the, in the law of Scripture. In other words, this is somebody who was an expert in the book of Leviticus. Because you talk about a lawyer in, in biblical themes, it means you knew the book of Leviticus inside out and backwards. Okay, this is a guy who had probably memorized and could quote the whole book nonstop, right? Uh, he was a lawyer, okay? He knew this book extremely well, right? And he was called on to interpret it, to explain all of these laws and how they could be implemented and carried out and if they had been followed correctly. That's who this guy was. A, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and, and here's Jesus' answer to him, right? Jesus does not say, wow, man, you missed it if you think keeping the law is going to give you eternal life. 
Jesus doesn't say that. And I kind of have a problem with why Jesus didn't. Why does Jesus not say that? Because, like I just said, clearly uh, we know that in the Old Testament the law was not given as a means to achieve eternal life. Um, But Jesus has his own way with people, and he's going to correct his thinking, but he's going to take him down a different path, kind of the path of his own choosing. And he's going to show him how his thinking is wrong. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, uh, well, what's written in the law? You're the expert. You know what Leviticus says. You tell me what Leviticus says. But then he, he follows that question up with another one. How do you read it? How do you read it? Um, in other words, not what does the law say you must do to be saved, but Jesus is asking, how do you understand the law and its purpose in relation to your obedience and eternal life? How do you read it? Of course, Jesus knows the answer. Jesus knows that this guy reads it this way. Well, if I, if I meet the standard, the law is the standard that God said. It's this bar. And if I reach the level of that bar, I'm deserving of eternal life. And, and God has to let me in because I passed the test. Right? I met the requirement. I, I measured up to the standard. And Jesus knows that's what this guy is thinking, but Jesus knows that he's wrong. So, so the lawyer answers him, and he, he quotes this verse. Uh, Leviticus 19.18, he quotes it. You shall love... Well, he quotes two verses. One of them is from here. Another one is from De- Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Right? Neighbor as yourself. comes right out of this, cha- this passage, Leviticus 19. And Jesus said, uh, at one level, he said, he said, yes, you've answered correctly. Uh, those are the great commands. Do this and you'll live. Right? End of story. Piece of cake, right? But of course, Jesus has just baited this huge hook for this guy, right? And the guy swallows the bait, hook, line, and sinker. He goes after the whole thing. And, and he says, but he, what? Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, ah, yes, but who is my neighbor? Right? Um, and right here, this guy's done, right? Right here, this guy, he just lied. He was doing good to this point. Right here, boom, he, he's over because Jesus has him now. And he is going to um, show him that he misunderstands the whole purpose of the law, right? Because the truth is he knows he does not measure up to that bar. He knows, because he knows, he knows what Leviticus 19 says, right? And, uh, and he knows all these instructions and he knows what it says. We're going to look at it. It talks about caring for the poor. And it talks about how you treat the alien and the foreigner by loving them as yourself, right? So Jesus sets up this great parable, and we know the parable about the Good Samaritan, where this foreigner comes in, and and the foreigner is the guy who shows kindness, right? Guy gets beat up, the priest passes by, doesn't help, Uh, the Levite passes by, doesn't help. But the Samaritan comes, and the Samaritan sees this man who's been beat up and robbed, and he what? It says, it says, he has compassion for him. He has compassion. He doesn't say, oh, well, Leviticus 19 says that I'm supposed to care for the foreigners and the aliens. If I'm going to measure up to that standard, I better stop right now and help this guy. No, it says he has compassion for him. And out of his compassion for this hurting human being, he what? He loves his neighbor as himself. And so at the end of the story, Jesus says, okay. Who kept the law? And the lawyer has to, con- has to admit, the one who showed mercy. 
And the point of the story, what Jesus is saying to this guy, what he's helping him see, is that the law is not some standard to be measured up to. But it's not some bar that we have to measure up to. And if we reach the bar, we're in. Right? He says, that's not it. It's not some set of rules that we have to keep to prove to God that we are good enough to, to deserve his, his, good, his goodness. Right? Um, and if we read the, the law that way, we, we will always have problems, right? And, and uh, so let's take it out of, the, out of the laws of the Bible. Let's take it to the laws of the land, right? Um, what are the laws of the land? For example, what's, what is a speed limit? Like even the word, it kind of says something. It's a speed limit, right? It means how fast can I go before I get a ticket, not even really what the speed limit is, because we all know how this works. Like the speed limit is like 90 kilometers an hour in Thailand, right? But the real question is like, how, how far do you have to go before you get the ticket? And like, I'm pretty sure it's at least 10 kilometers over. At least that's how it is in America, right? And so the real speed limit is more like 100 or maybe 120. But the reality is that most places, the Thai, don't, Thai police don't actually enforce the rule anyway. So actually, what is the real speed limit, right? It's endless, right? It's endless. Um, uh, and, and when we have that thinking, the problem is that we misunderstand the purpose of the law, right? We think the law is that the government sets some bar out there, and as long as we don't cross over that bar, we're a good driver, right? But is that really the purpose of the law? Well, of course not. Or even better yet, that, that the government sets that standard because if we go over it, they went to finance because it's how they finance their... You know, but they actually don't need that. They find other good ways to pull us over and find us. So they don't actually need that, right? Um, we think that's the purpose of a speed limit, so I can avoid paying a fine. But is that the purpose of a speed limit? For some, maybe. But actually, the real purpose is to keep the roads safe, right? The purpose is to make the roads safe for all drivers. And so on certain roads, the speed limit's adjusted because it's not as safe, right? It's not as safe. Or uh, I love even better, a better illustration of this is the whole motorcycles and helmets thing, right? right? What is the purpose of wearing a helmet when you're driving your motorcycle at 100 kilometers an hour? Well, of course, it's to avoid paying a 400 baht fine, right? That's the whole goal. Or is it to save your life when you go flying off your motorbike and smack the pavement? Oh, yeah, that too, right? See... When we see law as a, as a standard that we can measure up to, you know, we're missing the point of it. That's exactly what this lawyer was doing, right? He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to avoid the penalty because he didn't really understand the inherent purpose of the law, what it was about. And what Jesus is saying here is this. How do you really read the law? How do you read it? If you read it as a standard you must measure up to, you're missing the whole point. And so he tells this parable, and in the end of the parable, the hero of the story was not somebody who measured up because he met requirements, but he was a certain kind of person. Right? The, the Samaritan proved himself to be a certain kind of person. A person of what? Compassion. Like compassion. And, and where does that compassion come from? Well, ultimately, God is the author of compassion. And so the Samaritan did the right thing, not because he was following a rule or a requirement, but because of who he was as a person. As a person, he was the kind of person who was like God, a God of compassion. Right? 
And so what Jesus is saying to the, 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 uh, the lawyer is, uh, you need to be a different kind of person. If you really want to fulfill the law, if you really want to measure up, if you really want eternal life, it is not about keeping rules. It is about being a different kind of person. And you're not that kind of person. Sorry. Right? You are not a person moved by compassion who has genuine brotherly love towards other people. You are not a person who represents the heart and character of God in heaven. And so you're missing the whole point. Right? If, you want to, if you want eternal life, you need radical life transformation. Because it's not just about justifying yourself. It's not just about keeping you know, the standard, reaching as far as you can without going over. Right? You're missing the point. And he says, basically, look, if, if you were the kind of person who was like the, the Samaritan, if you were that kind of person who showed mercy naturally, just, if it just flowed out of your life, you would be fulfilling the law and it would be proof that you've experienced God's saving grace, that God has rescued and redeemed you, that you've experienced his atoning, forgiving blood of Jesus, what he's provided for you, because... Uh, that saving work is, is life-transforming. And if you haven't experienced that, uh, you cannot have eternal life. Right? You're, you're, you're not in God's kingdom. So Jesus really, in, in this parable, in, interprets for us uh, Leviticus 19. Right? And he tells us really how we are to understand this command, love your neighbor as yourself, and all that's unpacked here. What he's saying is that... and, and, and uh, they didn't take Jesus to do that if this lawyer had actually read, read and really studied and thought carefully about what was written. He would have known this. Because the, the passage starts off in verse 1 by saying this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. Not you shall do, not, not you should keep some set of lists or rules. He says, You shall be holy. Why? Because I am holy. I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so the ultimate outcome or result of God's saving work in Israel was that they were to become a people who represented the heart and character and nature of God in their very being. They needed to be a different kind of people, different from the world around them and different from who they used to be. Right? And so... Um, so then he gives this list of instructions. Right? He gives these laws. And this really would apply to all the laws. And over and over again, it says, I am the Lord, your God. Right? These things represent my holy character. And what I'm asking you to do is not just to keep a set of, uh, of regulations. I'm not just setting a bar up there to measure you against to see if you measure up. What I'm saying is, if you want to be like me, this is what it looks like. Right? This is what it looks like. To be like me, to have my heart and my character, and in a minute we'll we'll, we'll break through. We'll look look at these. Um, all of these laws, in some way, illustrate or or prove or demonstrate the holy character of God. And one of the things that will really help us understand how to unpack Old Testament commands and rules is to understand that all of them, at their root root foundational level, they are illustrating something of God's character. They're not random. They're not arbitrary. God just doesn't throw out these kind of crazy things. If we understand what they mean, 
we will see that in them they are representing who God is. Right? God, this is things that God would do. This is how God treats us as, as his children. This is how he treats his creation. Right? So, uh, so, for example, he says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Does God do that? Right? Does God love his creation uh, out, of, out of his very depth of his being? Well, praise God that he does, right? This is who God is. God is a holy God, but he, a, a big piece of his holiness is that he loves. And for God, love is, is unconditional, right? And, and one of the things we have a hard time understanding God's love is for us, um, hardly anything in life is really unconditional, right? A uh, guy falls in love with his girl in school and, he, you know, he just... He just off his feet with her, right? Um, it's pretty hard to argue that everything he does to show his love for that girl is not in some ways self-motivated, right? Right? Because he wants something out of this relationship, right? He wants her to love him back, right? And so for us, love oftentimes gets very connected with what I get as well as what I give. But for God, his love is one way, right? He loves even his enemies, uh, when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Right? God's love is unconditional. And for God, it, it is his uh, desire for our very best and our very good. Right? And so we're to be like that. We're to love because God loves. Right? And, and, uh, and he, he comes to us in a relationship that is loving. And what we see in... in in the context of this passage, that God's holiness uh, intersects with real life. Okay, important phrase. And, and to understand the laws and the commandments, it's really important to understand this. God's holiness, his love, uh, in, in the Old Testament, intersects with real life. What do I mean by that? Well, in many religions, and we could take, and I don't want to pick on Buddhism, but Buddhism is a good example of it. And uh, if you want to be truly holy in Buddhism... What you do is you become a monk, but not just kind of an everyday average monk like you see around. You, there are some real monks, and, and I applaud these guys because what they do really is extraordinary. Most of them go off and they live in some cave somewhere or off in some forest, and they withdraw from everything. And, of course, the goal is to be holy by uh, disconnecting from everything that they desire, both good and bad, and to just get to a place of, of desiring nothing. Uh, and there is a sense in which there is a holiness that comes out of that kind of life. Uh, they have no desire for sin, for evil things, for, uh, for selfishness, for greed, right? Um, and that, that is one picture of holiness. But that's not the picture of holiness in, in the Bible, right? What, what he's talking about here is not withdrawing from people, withdrawing from relationships, living in isolation, where you just be, kind of become a, bl- a bump on a log that never does anything. And, of course, you don't ever sin because you don't ever do anything, Right? You don't even sin in your think, thinking because you've learned how to just empty your brain where you just draw a neutral and you're just, you're not even human anymore, right? That's not holiness as the Bible describes. Holiness is, is holiness that's lived out in love relationships with real life people. In other words, you dive, dive into that swimming pool deep end of human relationships and you live out real life relationships with really sinful people, with holiness, okay? That's just a really bad idea, right? Because it's hard, right? It is hard. 
like, I, I like the monk path way better, right? Because it's pretty easy to mess up if I never talk to anybody. But what I find is all I have to do is open my mouth and I say stupid things and I hurt people or I insult people or I, uh, I dishonor God. It's pretty easy, right? And so uh, what he's talking about in these codes is how we live out these loving relationships in a holy way that intersects and engages with everyday life. Of course, everyday life for them looked a lot different than it does for us. But uh, what he talks about, uh, again, because it comes from God's holy character, who he is as a being, relates to us. All of it relates to us. Right? So I'm not going to go through each of them. There's something like 18 different regulations. So I'm not going to go through all of them. But let me just clump them together in some big groups. First one, uh, he talks about honoring the honorable. God never honors something dishonorable. Okay? That would be against his nature. God himself is glory. And he honors himself because his nature is good, pure, holy, and right. And so God always honors what is honorable. And that's why sin is a problem for God, because sin is inherently dishonorable. It disregards ourselves, it disregards other people, and ultimately it disrespects and dishonors God. Um, and so the very first command, he says, uh, he, or instruction, he says, uh, you shall, uh, every one of you shall revere, shall honor his mother and his father. Right, basic right at home. So talking about intersecting real life, let's just start at home. Right? Let's start there. Holiness needs to start where you live. And, and there should be this order of respect. Right? Honor your father and your mother. And this is true because God himself is a God of family relationship. He's a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who live in, 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 in a family kind of relationship where the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father and the Holy Spirit is, is the loving embrace of God around them all. Right? And the home is supposed to represent that. Right? The reason moms and dads and children and husbands and wives are so important is it models something of the very character of God's triune being as a, as a three-in-one God. Right? And in that relationship, there is both equality and subordination. God the Father and God the Son, the, the theology tells us, are equal. Right? One's not more powerful, one's not less powerful. They're both God. They both share the exact same nature. They are equal. But there is also subordination, uh, which means uh, the, the, the Son is under the authority of the Father. He places himself under the authority of the Father, and the Father gets to, gets to make the decisions, and the Son gets to carry them out. So God the Father decreed the creation of the universe, and Jesus says, I got this. And Jesus goes out and he does it. Right? And the Holy Spirit is there uh, as this presence in creation. Right? There's this order. So in a family, we are to reflect that order. And, and, and uh, God says, this is honorable. We should honor families because it represents who I am, my very holy character and nature. Uh, he talks about honoring the Sabbath. He talks about honoring the, the, the one true God. And a lot of the instructions are about idols. Uh, we, won't, we won't go there. But, uh, but he says honor, uh, idols are, are not honorable because they're false, because they misrepresent the truth and because they are ultimately from Satan. Right? So he, he tells them to turn away from all those kind of things that, uh, you know, uh, seeking, uh, what's the word, sorcerers and... Uh, 
omens and signs. He says, God alone is God, and He reveals to you what He wants to. You want to know the future? The parts of the future that, that you need, God will reveal to you. And praise God that He doesn't reveal all of it. Right? I'm telling you, you really don't want to know your future. Right? You do not want to know. Let it come day by day. But the things you need to know, God will reveal. And the things about the future, the ages to come, God reveals. So we don't need to turn to sorcerers or omens or false gods, right? It says we, we need to turn to the Bible. We need to turn to Revelation. Quick note on beards and tattoos, because this is one we're all curious about, right? Do I have to grow, get a beard and do I have to get rid of my tattoo, right? Um, these are connected to things that are dishonorable, and here's why. Because they were used in pagan burial rituals. Just don't get tattoos to honor the dead or to help the dead. We don't know how this all worked, but somehow in that day when people died, they would get uh, tattoos and they would cut their beards, they would cut themselves, they would maybe shave off their head uh, to manipulate the, the gods and the spirits to send the dead on their way. Right? And so uh, they were not to do that. Right? Not because tattoos were inherently bad, but because they were in that culture... They had a meaning related to pagan worship. He says, don't honor those things. Uh, My favorite one, uh, verse 32, uh, is becoming more and more so my favorite one every day. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of the old men. Hallelujah. Honor those old guys. Right? Um, I am the Lord your God. You shall fear your God. Honor things that are right. Right? It's good to honor age because... Life comes from God, and, and God gives strength and he gives beauty, but he also gives wisdom and long life. And so there's something honorable about somebody who's gained the life experience and where their body may be weaker, where they may not be as beautiful outwardly. There's something honorable in them, right? So we should honor age, right? So that's the first category. There are, we should honor things that are honorable and ultimately God himself. Second thing, we should care for the poor and the weak. Uh, and it's, it's, it's remarkable that the lawyer and, and the, that Jesus talked to, you know, it's like, you know this, right? You know this. Don't glean the edges of your field, right? To care for, to provide for the poor. And I love the way this worked in the Old Testament, right? It was not a handout. It was not, it was not just giving stuff to the poor, but it was providing a means for the poor to take care of themselves. And that's the key for helping people. If you're here doing... Uh, community development and, and helping people. That's the goal, right? Not to just give stuff to people, but to help the poor in a way that they can really help themselves. Um, so they were to, they were to leave, leave a few grapes, leave a few stalks of wheat, leave a few ears of corn so that the, uh, the poor could come and could get food for themselves uh, if they didn't have land, Right? care for them, care for the alien, care for the foreigners. Oftentimes aliens or sojourners, people who were from other countries were there because they were victims of war or famine or other disasters and they didn't have property, oftentimes didn't have rights and they needed protection and help. And God says, be nice to these people, show them compassion, help them out. Uh, In fact, he uses the same word. He says, you must treat them, you must love them like yourself. Right? So we don't just help our neighbors, our, our countrymen, but even foreigners, right? We, we love them. God rescued you. God had compassion for you. That's who God is. So you should be a people of compassion for others. 
Third category, broad category. He says, uh, be honest. Or maybe this is the fourth. I, I lost count. Next one, be honest and true. Right? In, in judging, judge fairly. Tell the truth. Don't lie. Why? Because God himself is completely honest in all his dealings. God never misrepresents himself. God never lies. God never deceives people. And neither should you. Loving your brother means treating them honestly. Um, not with partiality, right? Okay, I'll let you go through and, and read uh, about all the specific laws and you can look at them. But those are some of the categories. But let me close by just summarizing uh, some, some general rules or principles about how you can look at Old Testament laws and what you do with them, okay? Um, first principle we see uh, is that there are some uh, rules, some laws, some commands that have been made obsolete. But this is really important. They are never made obsolete by culture. Okay, so never say, and if you hear somebody say this, report them to the Bible police because they need to be arrested by somebody, right? right? And I've heard this. Like people say, well, we don't practice anymore because it's not popular in our culture. Okay, wrong answer, right? The Bible never bows to culture, ever. Right? The Bible is always over culture. And we never follow the Old Testament or don't follow it or whatever because culture tells it's okay, it's okay or not okay. Get everybody clear on that one? Right? Just make sure. Culture never dictates if we follow the Bible, ever. Right? So some things are made obsolete, not by culture, but by the cross. The cross of Jesus has made some Old Testament practices obsolete. Uh, namely, the whole temple sacrificial system. Right? We, we no longer offer lambs and bulls and goats. We no longer... Why? Because Jesus was the final perfect sacrifice that, that all those things pointed to. And the reality is that a lot of what we see in the Old Testament around the temple and temple worship and offering sacrifices and the priests and all those regulations were pictures that pointed to Jesus. So when Jesus came, he's the real deal. We no longer need the picture, right? The example. Hebrews 9, uh, Hebrews 9 and 10 actually go into great um, depth explaining this, but Hebrews 9.24 pretty well sums it up. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. They're copies, right? The temple was a copy of the real thing in heaven, so that they could kind of get a picture of what was going on. Um, copies of the true things. But, but, but Jesus entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And it goes on to talk about how he shed his blood and he brought his own blood into that holy temple in heaven. Right? So, so some things are obsolete because the cross has made them obsolete. Because Jesus fulfilled their purpose and meaning. Same thing's true of the food uh, regulations. Um, and we've talked about that in the past. I'm not going to talk about it more, but we don't follow the dietary restrictions, not because culture's changed, but because the cross has made those things um, obsolete. Right? We don't follow them anymore. Second thing, uh, because these laws come out of God's holy character, the principles themselves never change. Right, so we can go through every one of these laws in Leviticus or the whole rest of the Old Testament 
And the truth is that the principles behind those things will never change because they represent God's holy character. Right? Um, and, and if you want to be a person who's more like God, who is more Christ-like, the goal for us is to understand the principle behind these laws to apply them to our life, right? Not to measure up to a bar or prove that we measure up, but because we want to be different people. And these laws, the principles behind them, show us how to be Christ-like, how to live out God's holy character and loving relationships with real-life people. Um, And these statutes help us picture it. Uh, They help us see it. They help see how these things intersected with real life. So, for helping the poor in a, in a culture where they grew their own grain, that principle intersected with where they planted their crops and how they harvested. Right? So it helps us see how it worked out for them. But it's also true that the way we practice the principle may be different. Right? I don't even I don't even raise tomatoes. Right? So I mean I really can't do this whole gleaning thing at any level. Right? But what is the principle behind it? Well, the principle is caring for and having compassion for the poor. Right? So in our world, that principle is going to intersect with life in a little different way. But that's something we should all be concerned about. Right? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus emphasizes, look, if you're not caring for your hurting brother, your hurting neighbor, if you don't have compassion for them, you're not saved. Right? You don't have eternal life. Right? So as we look through these laws, we need to find uh, the principle, but then find ways that it applies in our world. Principle of Sabbath. Okay? Sabbath rest is a universal principle because it rep- rec- recognizes and represents that God is the author of all of our life. And that we don't have to work nonstop day and night, seven days a week, to take care of ourselves because there's a God who's taking care of us. And so we take a day off of rest and of worship to honor God and acknowledge that he is the source and provision for our life. Okay, does it have to be on Saturday? No, right? We may apply it differently. For us, maybe it's Sunday. For, for, for me, it's Tuesday, because for me, Sunday's kind of a work day. So I take I my Sabbath on Tuesday, a different day, right? Um, some of the rules are so related to a specific cultural context, we really need to understand that context to know the principle. So I talked about the tattoos and beards, right? If we just take that verse and say no tattoos and beards and we apply that, oh, God doesn't like tattoos, can't have one, right? But if we really understand the the principle, the principle is they were were worshiping false gods by, by these practices, right? So can you get a tattoo? Well, here's the rules, right? What's the principle? The principle is, uh, does this show the glory and holiness of God? First principle, right? Can you get a tattoo that's Christ-honoring? Well, yeah, a cross, right? Let me get John 3.16, right? Well, maybe that works, right? Second principle, does, getting, uh, does, does doing this, getting a tattoo, for example, uh, does it demonstrate love and concern for my neighbor? Right? By doing this, is it going to cause my neighbor to, to, because of their understanding of tattoos, is it going to cause a problem for them? Right? So with Paul in the New Testament, sometimes some of the food restrictions, he said, yeah, you can eat, but you're, you're hurting your brother by doing it. 
Yeah, you're free, but you're causing your brother. You're not loving your brother by taking that liberty. Right? Can you drink alcohol? Well, yeah. But is it hurting your brother to do so? Right? Those are the questions we have to think about as we carry out these principles. Not is it culturally acceptable? That's irrelevant. Okay. The question is, oh, well, in, in this culture, can I do this? That's irrelevant. The question is, uh, what is, what does this act mean in this culture? And can I do it in a way that gives glory to God and shows love to my brother by practicing that? Right? Um, sum up. You know, God wants us to be a different kind of people. Right? And the laws are given to be life-transforming. To be the kind of people who have compassion uh, for people who show God's love in real life practical ways, who live out God's holy character in, in everyday life. Uh, as you go through these lots of requirements, you know, dig to the principle underneath and ask God, God, in, in today's world where I live, in my family, in my work situation, how can I be living out these principles of love and compassion and caring for the poor and being honest and being a person of integrity, right? So that, that that characterizes my life. So I can say, God, I am, I am being holy as you are being holy in the place where I live. That's great. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.